Welcome back to another edition of Sports Business Secrets. My name is Kevin Tarka. I am the founder of Creation Talent Agency, and I will be releasing a new podcast every single day for an entire year that is specifically designed to share the inevitable challenges of the sports business world and how to overcome them. I'm inviting you to join me in real time on my personal journey of representing professional basketball players, traveling the world, and continuously finding ways to battle through the adversity in this competitive industry. The goal is to share as many secrets as I can to help you along your own path to success. Welcome back to another edition of Sports Business Secrets. Today, we're talking with Wagner College assistant coach, Bobby Jordan. For those who don't know Bobby, he played basketball at Drexel and started his coaching career on staff there and uh, soon after he graduated. And then uh, he also coached at some elite prep schools across the country and uh, and one down one year down at the prestigious IMG Academy. He's now in his second year at Wagner. So welcome, Bobby. Kevin, thanks for having me on. Uh, definitely looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, man, this is going to be fun. So So let's jump right into early coaching days. So you played at Drexel. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that the year after you graduated, you jumped right into into coaching, right? Yeah, right in, right into right onto our staff at Drexel um, as soon as I graduated, pretty much. That's awesome. And yeah. and and so that I imagine that you you kind of knew you wanted to coach as you were playing, or w- walk me through that process because that's that's obviously a great way to step into it. A lot of players obviously go down that coaching path, but it's rare to to kind of jump into it as a you know on staff your first year out. Yeah, I mean, different minds. I had a little different mindset heading into my college choice um, to go to Drexel um, and, and to become a walk-on for Bruiser Flynn at first. Um, you know, I had a four-year career at Roman Catholic where, you know, I had a lot of interest from Division two and Division three schools to continue my playing career um, and go there and play. Um, and really what I decided on was, you know, looking past what would come after college. Um, and, I, and I knew I wanted to get into coaching at some point. Uh, so, you know, lo and behold, I'm, I'm getting honored at, a, at an awards banquet called the Markwood Club here in Philadelphia and, and Bruiser speaking. Um, and, you know, he kind of mentioned how, you know, for some reason I was, you know, one of his favorite players to watch in the city. Um, you know, not, not obviously from a talent t- standpoint, um, but he had saw many of our games. Uh, I know he was recruiting one of my teammates who had graduated the year before me. Um, you know, so kind of just – the dots connected. And I said, you know, I, I want to go learn from this guy and learn from his staff. And I think that could be a great way to, to jump into coaching, uh, you know, being at the division one level, seeing how it operates, um, you know, and also just being around high level players. You know, we were, we, I was a part of a couple of good teams while I was there and, you know, some great teammates who have gone on to a lot of success overseas. So, you know, just seeing the game from that level, I thought was really important for my coaching career. I'm going to be completely honest with you here. I did not realize that you were a walk-on. That is amazing. That just got me hyped because I'm, I'm, I'm a walk-on as well. And I, I didn't realize that you were not on scholarship. But either way, obviously, that's interesting to, 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 to uh, realize that you kind of went into school knowing that that was kind of your path and you chose specifically on, on who you wanted to learn from. And then, you know, then, then one thing leads to another and then you're in that coaching tree. Um, no, that's awesome. So you, you, went, you went college to, to prep back to college so at what point was there a certain reason that when you were on staff at a division one level why you kind of took that jump uh I don't want to say down but down levels to 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 high school um like what what made you want to take that step and and then I guess what are the main differences in that in that switch 
Yeah, I mean, the big, the, the big thing about college coaching is, um, you know, we all know that at some point in your career, um, you know, you, you have the possibility of being let go from your job. Um, you know, our, our, our job doesn't depend on, you know, showing up every day and, and doing a great job. Every coach does that. Our, our job depends on wins and losses. Um, you know, so after a, a great run at Drexel, um, our staff and Coach Flint was let go. Let go. Um, and I had the opportunity to stay in Philadelphia. And I got contacted by a former player at Drexel, um, Henry Fairfax, who was taking over as vice president of a school, of a boarding school uh, located in Philadelphia called Girard College. And it was a unique opportunity. Um, I had known of Girard. I actually lived around the block for a year from Girard College before I even worked there. Um, it's in a growing neighborhood in Philadelphia. I just saw a lot of potential in it. And, um, you know, we were able to bring over some very good student athletes uh, as soon as I kind of took over and the, and the program took off. Uh, I know we, re we reached the state finals the first year, uh, reached the state championship the second year. We're ranked number two in the state pretty much the whole year. Uh, the second year I was there, um, you know, so a big thing for me was, you know, staying involved in the game. You know, the hardest thing for a coach is, is being let go. Uh, but, it, you know, also I think it's important to, you know, not to stay in the shadows. It's, you know, when adversity hits, you know, you need to kind of respond. And my response was kind of staying involved in, in the area. Um, I, you know, obviously was at Girard, but also took over for team final um, on the EYBL circuit, coaching with them. So I really wanted to stay involved in coaching and stay involved around high-level players at that time. Um, and then obviously after two years of Gerard, uh, getting the opportunity to go down to IMG uh, and coach there. And, uh, you know, I think the biggest thing, and you talked about difference in levels, um, you know, one of the things that's overlooked a lot of times in coaching is, is being a head coach and running your own program. Uh, you know, I've spent time as an assistant at Drexel, assistant now at Wagner. And, you know, being a head coach in high school, I think, sometimes that gets overlooked at how important that really is, mm. you know, cause it's not division one basketball. We're not on ESPN or anything like that. Um, you know, but having the opportunity to run your own program, uh, put your own culture together, put your own blueprint together for a program, uh, you know, is, is some, is an experience that I'll never forget. And it's something that has really helped me in coaching along the way and has allowed me to become a better assistant uh, now that I'm back at the college level. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I think, you know, so from the recruiting standpoint, so how, how wide of a net were you able to recruit when you were, when you were at the prep uh, high school level? Because obviously it's very different. And if you're at a public school, it's different than being at a prep school. But, you know, I, I think that's also one of the benefits for you going from, from college to, to high school, because you were still able to recruit and then back. And, and that's what, you know, kind of propelled you in your career. But what, what was the difference in recruiting wise? Um, you know, a couple differences, you know, being at IMG, uh, you know, you, you're, you're more international, mm. um, you know, and you're more across the country. It's, it's, it's a global, it's a global brand. Um, I, I had a seven foot three uh, center that played for me by the name of Zach Eady, who's now at Purdue. Um, you know, I had players from Australia I had players from Puerto Rico, um, you know, and also, you know, in America, Florida, uh, Hawaii, all over the country. Uh, you know, so that was a difference in kind of, you know, seeing players from all different areas of the globe 
while I was at IMG um, at Drexel here at Wagner. Um, you know, we're more East Coast based. You know, the I ninety five quarter, the DMV, uh, Philly, New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, the New England area, um, and that was kind of our focus at Drexel as well, where a majority of our players were from. And, and same thing here at Wagner. Um, you know, but at the high school level, while I was at IMG and, and even at Girard, I was able to to make connections from a, a wider range across the country. And, and like I said, even globally. Yeah. T- tell me more about IMG a little bit. Cause it, I actually, and we talked about this. I haven't been down there yet. Um, but, uh, but I've, I've just, I've seen and I've heard how, you know, how beautiful it is with the facilities and like, what's that level like compared to like a, you know, I guess your, your average high school, um, you know, level in, in the country. I mean, what is it, is it really like top, top, top? I mean, tell me about the facilities and about like just the culture there. Yeah, I mean, t- to be honest, from a, from a facility standpoint, in terms of high school, um, no, nobody can touch IMG Academy. Mm. Um, you know, they have everything um, that any student athlete needs to be successful on and off the court. Um, the level of coaching, uh, Brian Nash, who's the director of basketball down there right now, um, does an unbelievable job of just bringing in high-level coaches that are investing in kids um, and that culture that he brings in, in his coaching staff that he has, you know, translates into, you know, the work that's done on the court and, you know, different coaches sharing different ideas. Um, you know, it's not only a place where, you know, players get better, it's a place where coaches get better as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're just surrounded by so many great minds every day um, that might do something different than you. Now you have to have you know, the right mindset of not having an ego and, and being able to take on different advice um, from other coaches, uh, you know, but from an, from an athletic standpoint, from a facility standpoint, you know, they're top notch. Um, I mean, they're on par with many, you know, high major colleges in terms of, you know, what they offer from a training perspective, from, you know, a, a living ex- um perspective and, and even from like a nutritional standpoint uh you know you're you're getting that you know division one high major type of experience I believe that I can tell and then so so when you were at IMG I mean some would say that's kind of the top of the top I mean what in, what enticed you to jump back into the college side at Wagner and and you know I've been playing at when I was at Quinnipiac we were in the NEC as well so I played at Wagner. Um, I, I recruited, uh, you know, for my first recruiting class, I had a client from Wagner. So I've been in the gym and, and I would have to guess that the facilities at IMG are probably comparable to Division One College at Wagner. So what, what was it about Wagner that brought you back? Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest things that I've learned in coaching is about the people. And, um, you know, I, I talked about Brian Nash and you know, he's one of the best people I've ever worked for. Um, you know, so leaving the people at IMG was really tough. Um, and, and the relationships that I had down there with their coaching staff, who guys that I still talk to today, they had great people. Um, but at Wagner, the decision to, you know, kind of go back here and move back to the East Coast, um, you know, is family. And our head coach, Bashir Mason, we were teammates at Drexel. Um, another member of his staff, Winston Smith, uh, me and Winston worked together at Drexel for five years. He was my coach at one point at Drexel. Um, you know, so those guys are family to me. Mm. Uh, you know, so that was that was the big reason of why, you know, I wanted to come back and, and join Coach Mason's staff at Wagner was those guys are family to me. And, um, you know, that's something that Bruiser always instilled in us as players um, while we were playing for him. And then while I was on his staff is just, you know, preaching that family atmosphere. And, and there's nothing better 
you know, to, to go to war in division one basketball with, you know, brothers that you've known for a long time. Uh, so that was a big reason for me coming back and, you know, the opportunity to work for coach Mason, you know, was too good to turn down. Couldn't agree more, man. That, that there's nothing like competing with, uh, with some of your former teammates. Um, so that's awesome. And, and so, so catch me up to speed at Wagner here, obviously been a crazy year and this is your, so this is your second year going in. And I saw some of the, the early season NEC projections, which, you know, it is what it is as a former player. I don't read too much into it, but, you know, being picked, I believe as eighth, you know, do you guys, are you guys going into the season with a chip on your shoulder and how's the squad been and how have you been, have you been overcoming some of this craziness that's, that's hit us the past several months? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Coming in um, with a chip on our shoulder. I mean, we, we preach a culture of toughness and, you know, last year we had a down year, you know, totally unacceptable for, you know, standards here at Wagner, um, you know, and just, you know, I, I wish we were able to work with our guys in, in the spring and in the summer and, you know, COVID kind of prevented that, but in the short term, since we've been able to be back and be on the floor, um, you know, we have nine guys that have returned from last year you know, really excited about those guys being a year in our program. The year before, when I first got there, we had 10 new guys on the team. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, really just that continuity now in our roster of, of having a lot of guys back that have been in the program, um, that understand how we work on a daily basis, what our expectations are day in and day out, you know, I think has really benefited us. Um, we've been able to bring in you know, two transfers, uh, one of which played at Duquesne last year, another with another one who was a grad transfer that comes to us from UT Chattanooga, um, who will have two years left to play. So that was great. And bringing two guys in that have college experience um, that have been through a division one practice. Uh, and then our freshmen that we have, we have two freshmen, um, one Delani Hunt from the DMV area and Elijah Allen, who was the Gatorade State Player of the Year in Delaware last year. Um, those guys have jumped right in and embraced our culture of toughness and just have been all about it. Uh, so that's been huge uh, for us is just kind of, you know, preaching that toughness every day because we're in tough times right now. Mm -hmm. you know, we don't know if practice is going to be canceled the next day because something happened with, you know, COVID or contact tracing. Uh, so every day to step on the court um, is not given right now for any team. Uh, so just having an appreciation and a gratitude for that of, being able to do what we love every day, you know, that some people aren't afforded the opportunity right now because of what's going on. For sure. And, and, you know, I think before, even before this crazy year, you know, the mental side of it, as you know, from being a player and then hopping onto the coaching side is so big. And, and, you know, it was talked about a little bit, but I think now more than ever, if you're not mentally tough enough to, to kind of face that adversity that's coming at you, whether you get have to quarantine for two weeks or, um, you know, you don't have a summer, you don't finish your season, right? It's, it's, it's never a better time to be mentally tough. So I can tell you guys are preaching that in your squad. So outside of being gritty and mentally tough, like we just talked about, what are some of the, like some of the non-negotiables when you're recruiting now for Wagner to bring into your program? And then also what are some of the red flags when you're watching the high school game? And you're like, yeah, this kid, maybe he's talented, but like here's X, Y, and Z, why I don't want him in our program. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think a big, you know, I consider it a skill. Uh, what is overlooked a lot of times in recruiting is, you know, how hard does a guy play? You know, sometimes you'll go to a high school game and, and a kid could have a lot of talent and, you know, they, they might score 20 points and they think they did great. They think they think they had a great game, you know, but it was just so easy for them. And they, they're just going through the motions out there. 
Um, you know, so one of the things you have to look for, and I consider this a skill is, you know, how hard, how hard are they working? You know, how hard are they playing out there in the game? Are they coachable? You know, just watching them in warmups, you know, how do they approach the game? You know, are they kind of daydreaming, you know, dancing, really goofing off, not really into the seriousness of, you know, how intense the game is about to be. Um, and then I talk about coachability, like, you know, how do they respond to their coach? Um, how do they respond when they come out of games? I, I think those are things that are overlooked a lot of times by high school players. Um, they think it's all about just going out there and scoring points or, you know, creating a two minute highlight tape where of course they made every shot. Why would you put on the highlight tape that you missed a shot? Nobody puts that. Everybody shoots hundred percent mm-hmm. highlight tapes. Um, you know, so those little things that, that go overlooked a lot of the times in terms of toughness, you know, how coachable are you and how hard do you play? Um, I think it's a great thing for kids to learn. And to be honest with you, a, a guy could skip, steal a scholarship just by, just by doing those things. They might not have the most talent. They might not have the measurables. Um, I, I think our league is a perfect example of players that come in that, you know, or maybe the six, five undersized power forward who, you know, he's not six, eight, he doesn't jump out of the gym, um, but he plays hard. He knows what he's doing out there at all times. He's a great teammate um, and he's a great guy to coach and guys like that have great careers. Um, and then they wind up, you know, going on to play professionally that people probably didn't think was possible four years ago. Um, but those little things that they do have allowed them to get to that point. I couldn't agree more. And, and, and then, so when you're, when you're looking for toughness, um, I think it's, you know, you, there's obviously certain things in the game that you can find that they do that, you know, that whether it's diving on loose balls when they don't need to, or being mentally tough after a bad call, but are, are there other ways that you try and find that out? Like when you're, when you're recruiting someone, when you're talking to obviously their coaches is pretty easy, but are, are there other, other methods that you use to kind of, you know, really dig into it? Because I mean, I, I find myself doing it when I'm recruiting, obviously as an agent, it's a little bit different, but you know, like, I can ask someone like, Hey, you know, are you mentally tough? You know, you have to understand that there's going to be cultural barriers and language barriers. And they're like, yeah, I want it. I want it. But it's easier to say. So like, how do you judge toughness in a guy? Yeah. I mean, I think when you're talking about toughness, um, you know, obviously we see guys take charges. We see guys die for loose balls. Um, you know, those type of things are, are pretty easy to see, you know, when kind of determining if a guy's tough or not. Uh, there's other things that, you know, we can kind of look for. Um, I think one thing that we always talk about every day in ours is be a great teammate. So, you know, when I'm going to watch a game, um, you know, does, does a guy get happy when his team is, you know, doing well, you know, is he cheering on his other guys or when things are going bad, how does that guy respond? You know, is he the guy that's kind of pouting, um, you know, kind of yelling at the guys on his team, or is he the guy that's bringing everybody together, huddling them up and kind of putting them on notice that, you know, they need to change some things, things that might not occur in a timeout huddle with a coach or at halftime. Um, Does a guy do that during the games? Uh, I think when you talk about after the game and and kind of, or even on the phone when talking to somebody um, and you're kind of, you know, chopping it up basketball wise with them and asking them about certain things, whether it be within their game or what happened at practice, um, you know, are are they blaming the coach? Um, Are they blaming the guys on their team? Basically, are are they throwing blame on them on other people and, and not holding themselves accountable to, 
you know, make their environment a, a culture of toughness and, and really just have no excuses. Yeah. You know, because one of the things when you talk about toughness is, you know, tough guys really have no excuses. Um, you know, they, they kind of just do it. Uh, you know, so those are just a couple of things that you can kind of look for, whether it's on the court or off the court. Mm-hmm. No, that's great, man. And, and then so one of the last topics that I kind of want to touch on is, is really just almost the future of basketball and, and, and how things have been changing. And um, obviously with this year, with the new recruiting rules and, and players getting their eligibility back for one year. But one thing I want to ask about, and, and I'm not sure how much extent you can talk about it. Um, I'm pretty sure you can talk about it freely, but in terms of the NIL stuff and players getting paid, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? Obviously I think from, from a former player, you know, both of us have a certain like, yeah, players deserve it. But then from like the coaching side and the agent side, there's certain like a balance there. So what, what are your thoughts on that moving forward if they even pass these rules in January? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think the NLI will be a, you know, an interesting hot topic that has been discussed a lot and will continue to get discussed further as we approach January and when, you know, it's, it's supposed to pass. Um, you know, there's a lot of different factors that can go into it. I feel like, you know, where your college is located, um, you know, are you in a college town? You know, I think, you know, I think about a school like UMass in Amherst, Massachusetts, um, not a major city, uh, but a place where, you know, UMass basketball is big. Um, you know, so there's businesses. Of, yeah, there's a lot of businesses. There's a lot of marketability there for their players. Um, you know, does that, how does that compare to a school in their conference? Um, like LaSalle and St. Joe's who are in, you know, Philadelphia, a major city, you know, sports town, but mainly a pro sports town first um, where the marketability goes to those players. Uh, you know, so I think that will be a major issue in how it's approached conference by conference and even school by school. Um, cause like I said, different parts of the country, different areas, uh, kids might be afforded different opportunities when it comes to, to the NLI or NIL, I'm sorry. Um, another thing that I worry about as a coach is your locker room when it comes to this, mm-hmm. um, because it's not like every player is getting the same amount. Um, when we talk about cost of attendance at school, every player is getting the same amount on the team. Now, when it comes to this, that changes, you know, so you're going to have to manage your locker room now with this in terms of, you know, you might be getting such and such endorsements, but the guy that's sitting right next to him in the locker room who might be our third or fourth best player on the team, he's not getting anything. And now how does he feel? How does his family feel? And those are things that you're going to have to worry about and kind of work yourself around. And, and how do you work through that? You know, and, and they're going to be tough conversations with parents, tough conversations with kids. Um, I think the best way to do it is, is to really just be up front. I think schools are going to need plans on how they're going to handle it and, you know, what the opportunities that they're going to be for certain players on their team and, and what opportunities aren't going to be there for certain players. Um, and they need to be up front with, like I said, like with student athletes and their parents um, and guardians about, you know, this is the way it's going to look. Yeah, it's it, you made some really interesting points, and I think obviously very different at the pro level than college. But that's one of the reasons why you know these select contracts two years ago in the G League didn't work because you know what they essentially did was offer kids a path instead of going to college to come to the G League for 125k, right? And then you know I'm thinking like, man, 
if I'm a vet or if I'm a three, four year guy, that's, that's about to play in the G league. And, uh, and then I have some 18 year old coming in making 125 K and I'm making 35 or 40. There's going to be issues there, you know, and then it's, it's definitely a, a big topic. And then, you know, the other side of it is, um, how is it different at Wagner versus UNC versus Quinnipiac versus LaSalle? And, you know, as, as excited as I get for the opportunity for some players to make money, there's only a couple of Zion Williamson's of the world, right? Like kids aren't going to be making millions of dollars. Some might at the highest level, but you know, the reality is, you know, the majority of players might be able to make a couple hundred bucks here, a couple thousand bucks there, which is great, but it's going to be interesting to see how it's, how it's, um, kind of recorded and, 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 uh, and looked after by, by respective schools and, and NCAA and stuff. Um, and then I guess one last question on that topic. So how, how different do you think college basketball is going to be in 10 years um, with, with these, this G league path and with the way that, you know, prep schools are taking over public schools. How, how different do you think college basketball might be? Yeah. I mean, I think this year kind of what we're going through with COVID and, and, and the NCAA's decision to allow students to get their year back, um, you know, I, I believe it's, it's truly going to hurt um, high school seniors and, you know, guys mm-hmm. that are in post-grad year this year. Um, just from a numbers perspective, you know, we're only allowed a certain amount of scholarships per team. Um, so now your numbers get even smaller. Um, and also we're talking about, you know, transfers being eligible right away in January, along with, you know, players being able to, make money off their name, image, and likeness. Uh, so that could change things as well. Um, I, I think you're going to see a different recruiting model um, for a lot of different schools. Um, I, I think, you know, the Kentuckys and the Dukes of the world, they're, they're still going to go after one-and-done guys, and there's there's still going to be guys that choose that path over, you know, a G League path or, you know, going to Australia for a mm-hmm. year. Um, I, I think there's always going to be that kind of mixture of you know some guys are going to go to the g league some guys are going to think it's going to be better for them to go play college basketball for a year um you know and i think at the lower levels now it's going to become more of you know how do you manage your roster you know do you build up from high school and and then you got to hope to keep your guys if they you know perform very well you know because they can now transfer somewhere maybe to another conference and not even have to worry about sitting out um you know, so a lot is going to become with roster management. Uh, I'm not going to say it's going to be like the NBA in terms of how they have free agency and, you know, you see guys move all the time, but I think you'll see a lot more movement now with players in college basketball uh, than you have seen in the past. Um, even with the transfer portal being, you know, over a thousand kids, like it's been the past couple of years, I, I think you're going to see that increase. Definitely. Um, and now it's just going to be all about, you know, are student athletes making the right decision? Um, and what are they looking for in the future? Um, are they looking for that one or two year promise where, you know, they're going to go to the highest level they're going to get all the, the gear and fly on the private planes. Is that important to them or is playing time important? I mean, I was, I was listening to a, a podcast with Jeff Goodman the other day and he was talking about he did a study on guys that transfer up and he basically said you can guarantee their stats are going to be cut in half um, so now you need to look at something like that and say well, there's only been about four or five guys that have transferred up and have kept the same stats am I okay with that mm-hmm. if you're not okay with that as a player then 
you should probably rethink your decision. All great points. And, and, and like I say, every it's case by case. I mean, some, you know, some players might realize, Hey, look, I don't want to be a pro. I want to be able to use my, what I've built transfer up to a high major, have the experience, maybe get a master's degree and, and kind of go about my life. And that's great. But if it's to be a pro and, and to play after that, you know, is that going to benefit you is going to be the question. So really, really interesting stuff. All right, man. Well, this has been great. I got one last question for you before we wrap up. So we'd like to give away a little secrets here on this podcast to people that are listening and tips and tricks. And if someone's listening now that wants to go down the coaching path, what's, what's one piece of advice that, that you give them? You know, I think the biggest piece of advice uh, that I would give, you know, maybe a high school kid or somebody that's looking to get into coaching is, is decide early decide early that you want to that you want to do this um because it's something that you know it you can't it's it's really hard when you're you know 32 33 years old and and you just decide oh I I want to coach college basketball you know there there's not that many stories of guys that have kind of just decided to do that all of a sudden and have gotten what they wanted out of it um you know I, I think you got to you got to grind early on. You have to, you know, get involved in the grassroots section, whether it's AAU, whether it's high school. Um, like I said, I was fortunate enough to be surrounded by great people like Rob Brown from Team Final, uh, Lonnie Lowry from Team Philly, uh, guys in Philadelphia that kind of just took me under their wing and allowed me to, you know, work with their programs. Um, you know, you need to develop those relationships early uh, because this is a relationship business in the end. Um, you know, it's a lot about who you know, uh, but you also need to put yourself in the right position to, you know, figure out what you know, and then who you know will take care of the rest. Uh, but those, that's the biggest advice I would give somebody is, you know, decide early, figure it out and, and go all in. That's great advice, man. Haven't heard that one yet. That's great advice. All right. Well, last thing before we close out here, I'd like to do a thing I call a sports business lightning round. I'm just going to fire some questions at you and you got to tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. Oh, great. All right, here we go. Favorite color? Green. Most points you've ever scored in a game? 28. Pizza or pasta? Pizza. MJ or LeBron? MJ. Coolest city in the world you've ever been to? Philadelphia. <laughs> nice. What's something that you're really bad at? Shooting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Honesty, I love it. Who are three people that have helped you tremendously in your life? Uh, my wife, uh, my father, my mother and father. I'll group them together. Nice. And uh, Bruiser Flint. Great. If you could have a superpower, what would that be? Uh, fly. And if you could trade jobs with any single person in the world, any industry, for one week, who would it be? Brad Stevens. Ooh, that's a great one. And then last one, if you could turn back time and talk to 18-year-old Bobby, what would you tell him? Marry, marry a woman from Penn. Smart move. <laughs> nice. I love it. I love it. Well, this was awesome, man. I really appreciate you taking the time. I hope everyone was taking notes here. You have a lot of insight and gems for you. And I'm looking forward to seeing you guys do, uh, do great things there at Wagner and watching some wins hopefully here in a couple weeks. Thanks, Kevin. Appreciate you having me on and, and looking forward to some of the other guests that come on. Awesome, man. Appreciate it.